Yo, it's Tim Malcolm, the host of Playing the Rube and the editorial director of philliesnation.com, where you can go and get Phillies news, rumors, information, opinion, and more. Go to philliesnation.com today. We are in the middle of the Phillies managerial search. Are they going to pick someone from inside the organization? Or maybe they'll pick someone from outside the organization. Who knows? We'll find out soon. And when we do, we will have the news and then all the reactions pertaining to that decision once it happens. You can find all of our stuff at Phillies Nation on Twitter. We're also on Instagram at Phillies Nation underscore. And we're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Phillies Nation. So go there today. Uh, a lot of fun stuff coming once the offseason starts. We're going to have a big overview of the offseason and what the Phillies will probably try to fix on the roster. And maybe some things that they'll try to reach to do. We'll see. Maybe some fun stuff uh, that we don't even expect. Who knows? That's what the offseason is all about. So, philliesnation.com is where you go to get all that great stuff. This podcast is playing the Rube. It is myself and Dan Walsh who decided to take on the role of GM of the Philadelphia Phillies in 2009. We're doing that through Out of the Park Baseball 2018. So far, we're not doing well. The Phillies are playing pretty poorly, uh, just to say the least. And we did already execute a big trade, sending a number of talented veteran players to Tampa Bay in exchange for a bunch of pitchers. So our pitching staff now has Jeremy Hellickson, Scott Kazmir, David Price, also Cole Hamels is still here, and Brett Myers. So much different rotation than we had a few weeks back. And we're still trying to figure out how to shore up a couple other holes. Uh, in the last podcast, we talked about how we could maybe fix the third base situation. Pedro Feliz does not want to be on the team anymore, and we're not getting any production out of it, so we're looking for solutions. And the relief uh, pitching situation is pretty bad with Brad Lidge not performing very well at all this year. So we're looking into that. We actually ended the last podcast saying we need to talk about Brad. So that's what's happening. Uh, otherwise, you know... Just losing, a lot of losing. We're going into New York to play the Yankees for a three-game set. So this week we're going to kind of stay in New York and talk a lot about what's going to happen and what we're trying to do. And so it's a lot of sort of, I guess, I guess we're setting the uh, setting the template. We're setting the strategy here for the next few weeks, I guess, with this episode. So enjoy it. Uh, you can find this podcast, of course, on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spreaker, TuneIn, and YouTube.com. Slash Phillies Nation. Give it a five-star review if you can, please. We'd love it. Give us a good review. Uh, it's on the Phillies Nation podcast right now. Maybe at some point we'll branch it out, but for now it is part of the Phillies Nation podcast. So give us a good review. Uh, and this is it. Playing the Rube. Coming into a Yankee series. Episode number 12. Enjoy. Brad Lidge. Stretches. The 0-2 pitch. Swing and a miss. Struck him out. The Philadelphia Phillies are 2008 World Champions. October 29th, 2008. Just days later, Ruben Amaro Jr. would be named general manager of the Philadelphia Phillies. But what if, months after that, Ruben left? That's where we come in. Two guys living in their houses in 2017 will attempt to simulate the 2009 Phillies in answering the eternal question, could two guys living in their houses in 2017 do better than Ruben Amaro Jr. with the Philadelphia Phillies? Welcome. 
to playing the Rube. May 22nd, 2009. The Phillies are 11 and 29. Now, we might stink. We're underperforming. But it's springtime in New York City. So let's start talking about things we can do to change our lives. Third base, relief pitching, and garbage takes. It is a beautiful Friday morning, Dan. I am currently in a hotel in Manhattan. The team is playing the Yankees this weekend, as you know, in the Bronx. And let me tell you my day real quick. 6 a.m. I woke up, went on a run in Central Park, could walk there because the hotel is very close. Um, Thank you to the traveling secretary for that one. Uh, Great run around Central Park, 5K. Got done at 7. Picked up a nice hot cup of coffee, went back to the hotel room, showered, picked up my newspaper. It's 9.30, and like I feel like I've done half my work today. It's a beautiful thing. That is a beautiful thing. That's a good way to start your day. I'm going to tell you what I've done so far. Um, I've taken a lot of Advil and even more Tums because I know what's coming for the rest of today. Because if it's anything like the rest of our days uh, that we've had of late, uh, I'm going to need a lot of both of those things. Boy, you are an optimistic person. <laughs> I'm feeling that's so me. good that's today. What, it's a beautiful day, that's what I'm late known May. For. <laughs> so after that, I tell Dan that I did an entire scouring of Major League Baseball to find all the third basemen who fit our criteria that we're looking for. Someone young, someone who's got a good projectable future, And someone who is cheap. We like cheap. We're trying to be cheap. Johnny Peralta, who we talked about. Mike Avilas from Kansas City. Jose Bautista in Toronto. Alex Gordon in Kansas City. David Fries in Oakland. Pedro Alvarez in Pittsburgh. He's, I don't even think, in the major leagues yet. still, Still in the minors. Pablo Sandoval in San Francisco. Jose Lopez in Seattle. And Ryan Zimmerman in Washington. And then the short-term solutions, a little bit less talent on this list. Placido Polanco in Detroit. Fernando Tatis in Detroit. Ty Wigginton with the Mets. Nomar Garcia-Para with Oakland. And Marco Scudero with Toronto. I guess first off, Dan, of the two, long-term or short-term, what, what seems more, I guess, appropriate for us at this point? Yeah, there's an argument to be made both ways. So long-term obviously helps us keep our uh, competitive window open. It would also mean a guy who's probably cheaper, uh, lighter on the salary because all these guys are rookies, you know, maybe haven't hit arbitration yet, maybe even still in the minors. Um, And of course they'd be here for longer and maybe we could get them for, if we're lucky, maybe we could pull one away for less um, just because the, their overall rating today is lower. And then we would bank on them improving and reaching their potential later. Um, short-term solutions, guys that wouldn't be here as long. Um, I don't know. I mean, they, some of them, um, have higher ratings now. Um, Garcia Parra is at a 70 now. Um, although Ryan Zimmerman's at, at 75 and he would be a long-term solution, but, um, but maybe the fact that they've already reached their potential would work for us. Um, especially because we already have such a solid core. Um, so, So I don't know. It's tough to say because the case could be made either way. And um, maybe it depends on how much production we actually need out of third base, we think, going forward. Do we want to rely on Ryan Howard, Chase Utley, Jason Wirth to to provide the majority of our production? And then third base is just kind of a hole that we want to fill with a guy who's 
passable, you know, because then we can go for a guy like David Fries or Pedro Alvarez. But if we think that we need third base, like we really need to get a lot out of third base, then maybe we should be looking at um, Garcia Parra or even Polanco, who is a, a 60 grade player right now. Um, even though, you know, that's not the 75 that Zimmerman is. It's not the 80 that Bautista might turn into. Um, it's a capable player who could help us right away. Yeah, I'm worried about the short term because we have nothing behind. We have nothing in the minor leagues right now for third base. I mean, I don't think there's anybody who's really like we have our sets, our sights set on being a, an everyday player um, in the near future here as a third baseman. The only guy actually is Brian Dozier. Funny enough, who we picked up in the Tampa trade, he's a shortstop but can also play third base. So maybe there is something there. He is hurt for the next six weeks or so. So that's a little bit that, – that hurts a little bit now. But we wouldn't need him, I guess, for two years. He is in Reading, so maybe that actually works. But I don't know if we want to hang our hat on one guy, like to think that Brian Dozier is going to be the guy in two years. We don't know that for sure. So I'm just worried about short term because there's nothing. And if we're going to – we're going to have to figure something out next year then another short term rental or something, because we need to either we have to fix this long term right now, or we're just going to play year by year. And I don't know if that's the best route to take. Yeah, that's a good point. And by the time that, by the time that Dozier is ready, some of these other guys might be either aging out, maybe an unfortunate injury along the way. Maybe we can't afford them anymore. Um, You know, I'm talking about our core players that we have now. So, um, so he might be part of even, the next window of competition uh, if it happens that way. So, so yeah, it would, it would be nice to lock down a guy that we could have for, for longer than just another year or two. So of the long-term guys that are out there, because right now I want to just put short-term aside because maybe those values will even come down later in the season and we can fill that if we really feel like we have to. But of the long-term guys, who is most tempting to you besides Johnny Peralta? It probably depends on asking price. If Peralta, if we couldn't get Peralta for anything short of Hamels, um, like I said before, he's 50 now, he's 65 potential, then I don't really like our chances of getting anyone who is at that rating or better. So I don't like our chances of getting Bautista or Alex Gordon or Sandoval or Ryan Zimmerman. So it would be nice to get them. Um, and I don't know if we could swindle a team, um, you know, like we did in getting value back for Paul Baco, but, um, but I just think that the likelihood is not very high. I mean, we can make a call or two, but I don't want to, you know, go into that expecting much to come out of it. So maybe, I mean, maybe what we could do is um, see what what a team wants for, maybe see what Pittsburgh wants for Alvarez. Right now he's the lowest rated player. Or maybe what Seattle wants for Jose Lopez. And then, you know, really just get a get a sense of what they want rather than going too far into it and naming, you know, 20 different guys and trying to make it work. And then maybe see the other end of the spectrum, maybe Bautista or, or Alex Gordon. I don't think there's a chance that we get Ryan Zimmerman. Um, and then just see, you know, which, which offer is closer to what we're comfortable with. So Pedro Alvarez, just so everybody knows, is a 35 overall, 50 potential. So my filter must have been 50 potential. 45 contact, 55 gap power, 55 home run power, 50 eye, and 30 avoid strikeouts. Uh, he maxes out with a 65 at home run power and 55 in gap and 50 in contact. So he's a pretty good hitter. The discipline's a 50. Uh, the avoid strikeouts is going to be high. So he's going to be a high strikeout guy, which I do worry about a little bit on a team that already has 
Ryan Howard on it. Um, I think Jason Worth sort of, although his eyes a little bit better. Um, maybe not a big deal, but just something to think about. And his infield uh, rating, his, he's a 45 at third base, so he's sort of average there. Um, so maybe he turns into a first baseman someday, I don't know. But he's 22 years old, and he's very cheap. He's $1.9 million this year, and then it goes to one, uh, $2 million next year, $2.05 in 2011, two two in 2012. This is a long-term deal the Pirates signed early on. He has two team options in 13 and 14 that are very, very uh, small. So his total value is $13.65 million. That's incredible. Um, so, yeah, let me, let me call the Pirates and see what they think about us being interested in Pedro Alvarez. So we decide to start zeroing in on Pedro Alvarez, and so I send out a text message and make a phone call about him. So there's a couple interesting names here that they've thrown at us, and none of them are currently part of our core. They include Dominic Brown, Cesar Hernandez, and Jonathan Villar. Okay, so VR was one that we didn't want to give up. Yes. Um, so, uh, so maybe we could cross that off uh, right away. Um, and then um, Brown, we wanted to try to hold on to if we could, if I'm remembering right. Yes. Um, and then who was the third Cesar one? Cesar Hernandez. Oh, Hernandez. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to remember what his his potential was. It's a sixty. Okay. Yeah. So, so pretty capable player uh, is his upside, but he's a ways away still. Yeah, he's 18 years old and currently either going to be in the GCL or Williamsport. I would imagine the GCL. He has been in the Venezuelan league for the past two years, where he's been quite good, especially last year for uh, the team there, hitting 315, 412, 426. He's ready to move up, but he'll be in the GCL as he's 18. He's actually going to be 19 uh, tomorrow, so he's almost his birthday's coming up. Happy birthday, Cesar Hernandez! Um, he is a 60 potential contact, 50 potential power uh, gap power, 30 potential home run power, 55 potential discipline, 45 potential avoid strikeouts. So a pretty decent, patient batter with some contact. His speed is a 75. He's very fast, and he plays second base with a 45. 35 at third base and shortstop. So he's not a very exceptional fielder, but he's got really good speed and he can hit the ball decently well as potential. So I feel like we can get a guy like that later in the future, and I feel like guys like that are either utility guys or they do become starters at some point, but that's probably another four or five years down the line for us. Yeah, and when you have this core that we do have, you you don't want to just let them walk away either without actually having anything to show for it. Um, I guess other than 2008, but that doesn't go on our resumes, you know. So, um, all right, so you know, a move that maybe we wouldn't be completely uncomfortable with. Um, so, so should we go and see the other end of the spectrum, or is there another guy that you think would be like one step up from Alvarez, and you, and you want to see if maybe it would be a similar package, and we should just go for the next guy up? I'm interested. I don't know. I, th- I think I'm probably most interested in, I would say, Sandoval. Um, he's got a really good contact bat, and that's something that I think we can use on this team right now. Um, I'm just going to draw him up here. 
He's a 50 overall right now and a 75 potential. So it's really, really high potential. Got 70 contact potential, 65 gap power potential, 60 home run potential. His discipline's a little bit low at 45 potential, but he avoids strikeouts 60%. So this guy, and he's a better third baseman, I feel like he's just that slight step up from what Alvarez is. And he's 22, so he's like the same age and uh, gives you a little bit more, you know? So I think I would like to just see if the Giants are interested in him for kind of the same package. Okay, yeah, let's do it. I think he's actually a pretty sizable step up because his current rating is around Alvarez's potential. Right, it's a right? So his floor is the same as Alvarez's ceiling, really. All right, so call on the Giants. Yeah, they don't want anybody. So they, they, <laughs> they can stand up all untouchable here. So that's kind of the difference. Yeah, that is a, that is a difference. Um, okay, so um, so how do we split the difference then between those two? Do we look at Jose Lopez, David Freeze? We talked about the other day, I think. Oh no, that was Eric Hinsky. See, I, I don't know what it is. I keep it's these, um, it's these sort of marginal white guys. That's what it is. I <laughs> mean, <laughs> um, just yeah, real quick, and, real quick. Freeze is a fifty overall and potential, so he's already kind of at his cap at twenty six years old. So he's pretty much at his peak. 55 contact, gap power, and home run power all seems to have peaked. His discipline can get a little bit better. He's a high strikeout player, 40 strikeouts and 8 walks this year, 324 OBP. I don't really like him that much, to be honest with you. Um, I feel more confident about Pedro Alvarez, who's three years younger and has loads more potential at this point. Okay, yeah, that's fine. Um, Yeah, it's funny because these guys are so... So representative, you know, whichever one we actually go for will be representative of what our philosophy is, because they in terms of talent and age and years and what they're good at, what they're not so good at, what their upside is, um, it'll really kind of reveal what we are willing to part with and what we are prioritizing and what we give back or get back. Yeah. And meanwhile, Jose Lopez is 25. He's a 50 overall and potential. Again, he seems to have peaked as well. 60 contact, 55 gap power, 50 home run power. So a bit more of a contact hitter who can maybe hit some home runs that are mistakes. 30 discipline and 65 avoid strikeouts. So again, he puts the ball in play. Uh, he doesn't have a great bat. He doesn't gonna, he's, he's not going to walk a lot, and that shows through his career. He hasn't really walked much in his career, and this year it's a very small sample, but three strikeouts and no walks. Uh, he's not playing much at all for Seattle, which is kind of surprising. Maybe he was hurt earlier. I'm not sure. But Lopez doesn't seem to me like a great choice either. I, honestly, if I'm going to go for any of these long-term guys, I feel like Pedro Alvarez might be the best He's 22 years old, and he's got a very, very friendly contract ahead of him. Um, the only downfall with him, well, there's two. One is that his potential is only a 50, and the other is that he only plays third base. He doesn't really show up as anything else. So I, I'm a little bit worried about that part. Yeah, that, that, that is cause for concern, I guess. But uh, at the moment, we have the other infield positions locked up for at least a few years, um, you know, with Ryan Howard, uh, Chase Utley, and Jimmy Rollins. Um, you know, so it would be nice to get more utility if a guy gets hurt or needs a day off. But for the most part, those positions aren't going anywhere in the next year or two. So we've talked around a lot, but we seem to be ending up on Pedro Alvarez. He's the guy, right? Well, we discuss whether it's time to make a move. We could do a one-for-one Cesar Hernandez for Pedro Alvarez trade right now, it looks like, and it would work. Is that 
good for us. I mean, again, as you said, we're trading away someone that won't be with us for another four or five years probably, so we do want to help these guys who are currently on the team get some, you know, contend again. Um, I'm I'm interested. Um, I'm not 100%. I'm not amazed by it. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, I, I want to get your read here. Yeah, what I think what's keeping us from leaping into this is the fact that Cesar Hernandez has the higher upside and is also a legit prospect in a system where we don't have many. I mean, our depth chart that we look at is color-coded, and it's red for players who have, like, minus-minus potential and, and rating, right? And so I'm looking at this depth chart, and it looks like a play to catch up right now because it is it – is, so red. Um, so I think that we're grasping on the Cesar Hernandez pretty tightly here, but should we see if they'd be willing to accept a lesser offer instead of just straight up going for the one that, that is, is what they want? You know, can we compromise here? All right. Let me look at our prospect base. I mean, we don't really have any prospects whatsoever. So you're right. Giving up Hernandez means we really take a chunk out of our prospect uh, list here. Below him, who is worth it? I mean, starting pitcher Trevor May, who will probably be in the Gulf Coast League this year. He hasn't played yet this year. He is a 45 potential, and he's the only person between basically Dom Brown and the regular prospects who are 25s and under. So this is like we're grasping here, but I'll see if they're interested in Trevor May. Sure. Yeah, he doesn't really – Josh Lindsay is telling me that it's pretty much – uh, a terrible deal. I'll ask him what he thinks they need. They still need Cesar Hernandez in this deal. So it's really like if we if we trade Cesar, we would need a prospect in return as well with Pedro Alvarez, I feel. It's definitely worth seeing if we can get one. Um, either, like, I mean, and we could also go the route of can we supplement our bullpen again through this trade? Um, but obviously that's, you know, that's secondary. So if we could get Alvarez and maybe, you know, a middle-tier prospect, um, that would, I think, help it go down a little easier. So I'm looking at what they have available right now. They don't have a lot either. They have a pretty bad farm system. They have a 35 potential who who is Brad Lincoln, uh, 23-year-old starting pitcher who's right now in AAA. Um, we could use some starting pitching at the top of the minor league depth chart. Uh, 30 potential isn't great, but it kind of says middle of the road for the Pittsburgh organization. And yeah, 30 potential doesn't really move the needle, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, if if you know if they're going to just give them up, then sure. But if you know, I, I'd be more excited with uh, something a little better than that. I mean, they're okay with it. They actually said it's fine to take Brad Lincoln, but I'm not in love with it. To be honest, I mean, I just don't know. You know, at 35 potential, that's like a number five starter. I don't, you know, if if we're going to trade away a guy who could be a starting second baseman a couple years from now, we need to get at least, I'd say, like a, like a number four starter, maybe. I mean, we are getting someone back who will be here for a number of years. So I just feel like we need a little something here. All right, I'm asking about, I just asked about Neil Walker, who is currently a catcher in their organization. He's 23, and Pittsburgh does not like that. Um not at all. They don't they don't want to give up Neil Walker and I understand that he's a 45 potential. The only other guy who's available who's in between those two guys is Jeff Locke, 
who's a starting pitcher and is 35 potential, but he's injured with bone chips. Uh, he'll be out for six days. We can wait a week and see if this takes again and maybe throw Jeff Locke in there, but I don't know. I'm, I'm okay with Lincoln, but again, I'm not in love with it. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it, it it's better than getting back, uh, you know, just one player because who knows, but it's not really moving the needle for me. Um, but you're right. I mean, we could put a pin in it and wait a few days and see how we feel then or see if if another team puts a guy on the on the trading block and and maybe it's a little easier to pull that guy away than than Alvarez. You know, although I do you're right. I do love Alvarez's contract. It's very affordable and it's through what 2014. Yeah, it's through 2014 and he goes into arbitration then. He'll probably be okay. in his last year of arbitration at that point. Yeah, wow, that's, that's a I lot know. of years. That's really yeah. good. <laughs> That's if this guy gives you, you know, two sixty twenty five home runs and seventy RBI or something out of the six hole, he's worth four million a year in two years, and he's only going to be making two point oh five, right? Yeah, so that's so it's not hard to recoup that that financial value for him. That's for sure. Um, so I don't know. I mean, do you want to pull the trigger? or Do you want to put a pin in it? Let's. Let's wait until the bone chips <laughs> from Jeff Locke uh, heal. It's an elbow injury, which is a little bit worrisome. But I just want to see if he could be the piece that moves it. I'm a little bit more ha- – I think Jeff Locke would be a little bit better for me to swallow than uh, whatever else was on the deal there. We'll be right back with playing the Rube, but let me tell you for a second about philliesnation.com. It is the website that gives you Phillies news, rumors, information, opinion, and much more. Hey, the offseason is almost here. We are halfway through the postseason. That means the offseason is coming, and that means it is the time of year when we talk about who the Phillies will try to trade for and pick up in free agency. It is the time of year where we shine because it gives us hope, and we get to put a lot of names out there into the ether and pick one that we think the Phillies are going to actually pick up in the offseason. Let me tell you what we did last year. We did an offseason overview of the positions that we felt the Phillies needed to upgrade. Starting pitcher, relief pitcher, and outfield. Guess what we did? Okay, starting pitcher, we put all the names out there, all the pitchers who were available, and we decided that the best possible choice for the Phillies was Jeremy Hellickson. That's right, our Corey Sharp said Jeremy Hellickson would be back on a free agent deal. It would be the best possible deal for the Phillies. Guess who they picked up? Jeremy Hellickson. We were right, okay? Then relief pitcher. I put all the different relief pitcher names in a hat and said, okay, who's the best one? We went through all their numbers. We looked at all their values, uh, what kind of contracts they might be wanting in the offseason. I selected Pat Neshek as the best bet for the Phillies in the offseason to patch up the bullpen. Guess who they grabbed? That's right, Pat Neshek. And guess what he did? That's right, he was the Phillies' lone all-star. It's really sad. Then we looked at the outfield, and I again went through all the different names, put all the numbers out there, went through all the possible contracts and all the scenarios, and guess who I chose as the guy that I think the Phillies should have picked up the most? That's right, Michael Saunders. As much as I feel really crappy that they did pick up Saunders and he was a flaming pile of garbage, no offense to Saunders, I'm sure he's a really good guy and uh, you know he's really wonderful, I'm sure. His performance was just lacking in 2017. I did select Saunders as the guy that the Phillies should pick up, and I was right. That's what I'm going to give you next 
offseason. Coming up in a few weeks, we're going to do an offseason overview. We're going to go through all the positions where the Phillies need an upgrade. And we're going to give you the names that we think the Phillies should pick up. And guess what? We might be right. We very might be right. I know that's not a grammatically correct sentence, but whatever. That's what you're going to get at philliesnation.com. Go there today for all of your Phillies news, rumors, information, opinion, and much more. We're also on Twitter at philliesnation, Instagram at philliesnation underscore, facebook.com slash philliesnation. philliesnation.com, your website for your offseason. Goodbye. So after we decide to put a pin in the Pedro Alvarez discussion just for a couple days, we have to turn our attentions to another pressing matter that we've been talking about for a little while now. Bradledge is closer. Charlie Manuel will not move him as closer. Um, he can't be closer. He can't. He can't be the guy on this team's closing games anymore. There, we have options. One being we can waive him, and I don't think a team will pick him up because he's got a salary that's costing twelve million dollars for the next four seasons each year. So I don't think a team would be wanting to pick him up. I just dangled him out of nowhere, and nobody really wanted anything to do with him in a one-for-one -one trade. So I don't think a team will take him. Um, so we could waive him. We could also do something that's a little more out of the box and acquire a top-level closer, and that might just push Lidge out of the closer role. I mean, that seems... A little bit weird, but we do need help in the bullpen, and maybe getting a top-flight pitcher out of the bullpen might actually help us a lot. The other option I think we could probably do, and it might take a little longer, is dangle Lidge to a team that has the money to afford him and try to eat one of their salaries, which is about $12 million, because that's what we can handle. Of those three options, what do you think is better to go forward with? Yeah, at the moment, it'll be hard to convince me to just kind of let him walk away because with the money that we're paying him, um, unless we have somebody better to put in that spot, there's kind of no reason, you know, there's no reason for him not to be there anyway. Um, it would be nice if we could get Charlie to stop putting him as a closer and use him as kind of a guy when we're already losing by 15 runs. We should, if we can, uh, try to find some teams that uh, we can do like a change of scenery salary dump type deal. I mean, we don't have a ton of payroll flexibility either so i don't know um what we'd really be getting back if it's just like a 12 million player for a 12 million player i really don't know um <laughs> how bad that player would be or how much we'd be able to use them but uh but we can try okay so i'm just looking at players who are around the 12 million dollar salary who need a change of scenery the first name that actually came to me and this is a very interesting name because it would actually work up work with us at least for our short-term needs, is third baseman Troy Glaus of St. Louis. He's making $12.137 million, but it only expires at the end of the year, so I think St. Louis would not want to take on Lidge's rest of salary for just a rental of Troy Glaus. But Glaus is hitting a putrid, uh, what is it, 206 with a 331 OBP. It's actually pretty decent. 382 slug, but he's known to slug, and he's not slugging right now. So... I, we can look into Troy Glaus. Um, the other names that are playing pretty terribly include pitcher Hiroki Kuroda of the Dodgers. Uh, no, excuse me. Sorry. Uh, forget that one. Um, David Ortiz of the Boston Red Sox, who's hitting 213, 279, 426. There's no need for him on the team, though. I mean, we have Ryan Howard already. Um, Hideki Matsui of the Yankees. Again, one year left on the contract, and the Yankees are already pretty much under... Um, 
they don't have any more money to kind of bring in, so I don't think they're going to want to take Lidge. They're already negative, what I'm saying. So even if they do a one-for-one swap, they need to cut more money from that payroll. Um, and that's about it. Eric Burns is making $12 million and he's having a bad year, too. Um, but I think Arizona also doesn't have a lot of money to play with. And da-da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, that's about it for hitters. Um, Glaus is interesting. He's actually a pretty interesting name that, you know, if we did want a short term instead of getting Pedro Alvarez, maybe that's the guy. Um, but real quick, pitchers, Francisco Cordero, the closer, uh, and I believe he's playing in Anaheim. Uh, no, I'm sorry, he's in Cincinnati. I'm thinking of uh, Francisco. I'm thinking of the other guy. Uh, Cordero with Cincinnati has $12 million on his contract. It's four more years on the contract, by the way. He has a 7.71 ERA, basically the same as Brad Lidge. So I don't know if that's even worth it for us. Um, I just looked at Brad Lidge. I was going to say that guy's available too. Jeremy yeah, he's Bonderman. very available. If you're interested, he is very available. <laughs> Jeremy Bonderman is making $12.5 million and he's uh, having a pretty terrible year too. He's a 12 ERA relief pitcher. Uh, two years left on his contract. And Vicente Padilla, old friend, is making $12 million and his ERA is 6.65. A whole bunch of bad numbers there. Two years left on his contract. Also, Oliver Perez is making $12 million as well. Three years left on his contract and a 4.5 ERA, uh, a little bit under average. There's some names there. I don't know. Anybody there in the hitting or the pitching stand out to you? Yeah, I think obviously Troy Gloss is the most appealing um, because it's the shortest contract. The issue, like you said, is that Brad Lidge is actually owed $48 million, so it's 12 this year, but then also a bunch right. more years. Um, and what also is troubling about this trade is that usually when you're doing a salary dump like this, you're, you're moving you know a lot of money. Uh, usually there's like at least a good player going one direction or the other, and in this case, like there there wouldn't be, but um, but may, I mean maybe we could see at least find a player who uh, uh, like frustrates us less, or um, maybe wouldn't be in the closer role, so that when we do have a close game, maybe we can get Madsen in there instead. Okay, let's just call St. Louis. And see if there is any interest in Brad Lidge. I, I can't imagine that they would want four I, years of Brad Lidge for, you know, a, a little more than half a season of Troy Glouse. But let's find out. <laughs> Jose Echeverria, the GM of the Cardinals, says, This might be the worst offer I've ever seen in my, in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> uh, just to see if they – yeah, they want Hamels. So <laughs> well, all right. Okay, okay, we're going to put another pin in another thing, and we're going to let it go for a while. That's fine. Well, now it's time to play some baseball. We're going to Yankee Stadium, playing the Yankees for a three-game set. It's the new Yankee Stadium, too. And, better thing, our new guys are all on the mound this weekend. That's right, we got Scott Kazmir on the mound today against uh, Andy Pettit. Kazmir is 3-1 and one with a 4.76 ERA. Saturday, it's David Price. Sunday, it's Jeremy Hellickson. Oh, that's nice. So with any luck, they'll, you know, because we're not seeing this year's performances as being the apex of their talent. Really, we're more interested in what they do the next two or three years. But still, it'll be nice. I'm sure they will all at least be improved over what we had before, what we started the season with. And it would be nice if they could just go farther into games and maybe Brad Lidge won't have to pitch. We lost 12-2. to 2.
Um, so you could cut what I just said, right? <laughs> May 23rd, 2009. The Phillies are 11 and 30. Okay. One game down. David Price is on the hill, though, tonight. AJ Burnett against him? We could beat Burnett. We're still confident. I, sorry, I just, I, I must have. Uh, drifted off there. I heard you say David Price makes his debut for the Phillies, and I just went on like a nice little. I had a nice little fantasy moment for myself. Well, that is the one that you get this season. Okay, <laughs> there are no other <laughs> moments happening right now for you, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. No, it just has a good sound to it, and and I'm still enthusiastic about that trade, even if Casimir had a rough start, even if those. You know, these, these three starters that we got don't necessarily turn it around for us this season. I'm still feeling pretty good about the trade that we made. All right, well, let's play this game and see what happens. It's an 11-8 to loss. Okay, well, we're getting closer. We're getting there. At least why. That's David my, that's my guess. David eight runs in four innings. Aye. Yeah, it's something. Six do walks. We have to, six walks. We might have to do that, the, the symbolic firing of someone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're kind of there at this point, honestly. Um, we're probably there, yeah. Kyle Kendrick actually pitched well. He gave up four hits in two innings, but he didn't give up any runs. But he also got hurt. So. <laughs> <laughs> See what happens when you pitch well for us? That's right. The one good thing is that Ryan Howard had a big game. He had two home runs and had six RBI in the game. Did, okay. Didn't help. Ten would have been nice, but... Didn't help, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So in the wake of another loss, we do have to make some quick roster moves, some paper moves. There was an injury in Reading, and our infield is right now very low on resources. So we decide to kind of troll around in the free agent bin, and we find Benji Gill, 36-year-old veteran who hasn't played in the league in a year, but he's been kind of in the international realm, and hey, why not? Pick him up, see what he can do. Meanwhile, we also have an injury to take care of. Kyle Kendrick gets hurt in his game against the Yankees, so we put him out on the DL. He's going to be out for five days with a back injury, but let's just put him on the DL, give him an extended time off, and we'll bring up Jack Tashner. <sighs> this is terrible. We're back to feeling really terrible about life. You know, how about that? <laughs> I, what did I tell you about the Tums and the Advil? That's right. Um, and I was made to look like a fool because, oh, you're so pessimistic. Oh, yeah, who was right? <laughs> <laughs> May 24th, 2009. The Phillies are 11 and 31. Okay, final game of the Yankee series. CeCe Sabathia on the hill for the Yankees. Tough draw. Jeremy Hellickson pitched well last time out. Let's do this. I would like to uh, not answer that until I find out whether or not we can. Because um, I feel like we've already been made to look foolish uh, with how poorly the season's going. I need to salvage what little ego I have left. We got swept. Okay. Um, so that's not great. <laughs> Eight to five. Eight to five. So these, these games, it's not like we're even getting... We're, it's not like we're losing three to two here. We are just getting rocked. Jeremy Hellickson gave up seven runs in three and two thirds. He was so good, and then we 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 got him. All right. Should we do this ceremonious? Yeah. We'll be back in a moment with more Playing the Rube. But let me tell you real quick about an awesome event that we're putting on at Phillies Nation. We're starting a book club. 
Now, you might be thinking, what do I care about a book club? Why do I care about a book club? Well, look, listen, this is not the typical sort of impression that you get when you think book club. This is going to be an awesome discussion that we're going to have about a book called Macho Row, the 1993 Phillies and Baseball's Unwritten Code. The book is by William C. Cachetis. We're going to be talking about the book Monday, October 30th, 6.30 p.m. at Holy Family University at the ETC Auditorium at the school there. And our panel, who's going to talk about it, includes Michael Sadowski, one of the writers at Phillies Nation, who was in college in 1993 and can offer some really cool fan perspective. Also, Mitchell Nathanson, a professor of sports law at Villanova University. And Tommy Green, one of the great starting pitchers of that 1993 Phillies squad, who, of course, pitched well in the NLCS that year, threw a no-hitter in 1991, had a really good season in 1993. That's the panel. It'll be Mike Sadowski, Mitchell Nathanson, and Tommy Green talking about Macho Row, the 1993 Phillies, and Baseball's Unwritten Code by William C. Cachetis. Again, the event is at 6.30 p.m. Monday, October 30th at Holy Family University in Northeast Philly. It'll be in the ETC Auditorium at Holy Family. Come, it's free, you'll have a great time listening to great stories, you'll get to talk about the book yourself, uh, you should read it in advance, if you can If you can do that, come armed to go and, and talk about the 93 Phillies and what you thought about that book, it's going to be a really fun night with great discussion, great time had by all, we're going to put it up on audio after the fact, we're going to start a podcast where we do book club stuff. You should go to this event. It's going to be a really cool once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to talk about a great team in Phillies history with one of the people who was part of that team. Again, Monday, October 30th, 6.30 p.m., Holy Family University at the ETC Auditorium there. We're talking about Macho Row, the 1993 Phillies, and Baseball's Unwritten Code by William C. Cachetis, Mike Sadowski, Mitchell Nathanson, Tommy Green of the panelists, Aaron Brian Michael will moderate. It's going to be a fun night. Come out, come out, come out. We'll see you there. All right, back to playing the Rube. We have to talk about Rob Emmons. Now, who's Rob Emmons? He's the pitching coach of the Phillies, the 2009 Phillies. Here's the deal on Rob Emmons. He's a 49-year-old. That's all we really got. Well, I'll talk a little more about him. He likes power pitchers, but he doesn't have any good relationship with anybody. In fact, he has no relationship or influence with anybody at all. Yes, yeah, so that's a problem because that his job is literally to have relationships and influence. His uh, pitching staff has a 5.68 ERA so far this year. Oof. Yeah, I mean, not entirely his fault, but we do have some pitchers who are underperforming consistently. All right. Want me to do it? Yeah, well, I mean, so so maybe last thing before you do, um, and you could tell I've never fired anyone in my life, um, is who's actually available to take his place. Well, that's a good call. So as we talk about Rob Emmons, I start to realize that we don't really have a plan formulated for this. Well, let me be specific. I don't have a plan formulated for this. I just decided we should probably get rid of the pitching coach. And here we go, talking. I decide to let's just keep talking, see what comes out of this. Internally, our pitching coach is, uh, in AAA is Ben Cobal, who's 44 years old unproven. He also is fronting a pitching staff that is terrible in Lehigh Valley. The, the bullpen is, at least. And in Reading, the pitching coach is Jason Fridia, who's 43. He's doing He's a decent reputation. 
Um, I don't. I don't know. None of these guys are anything to me. I'd rather look outside and see who's available uh, from the rest of baseball. So, so just taking a look. I think most of our pitchers are actually pretty neutral. So we do want a neutral guy. I, I would suppose to work with this guy, whoever it's going to be. So again, pitching coaches, and we're going to look at reputation that anybody who's available is decent. Nobody is good. And the decent guys all have experience of over 10 years or so. The neutrals include 50-year-old Marco Farinas, 56-year-old Kirk McConnell, and 59-year-old Tony Olivella. Uh, Also, Nick Piles, who's 56, and Rob Rosal, who's 43. That doesn't mean a lot to me. None of these guys do. Um, but <laughs> no, I'm glad you said it and not me. Yeah. Let's just take a look real quick and see of these guys who might have a good relationship with any of these guys. Yeah, I don't think any of these guys actually have relationships with anybody. So it seems like every time we identify a problem, there's no realistic way to solve it. That's the sense that I'm getting. It's true. It's a good point. There's a 57-year-old named Billy Porter who is more of a conventional coach. He has decent rep. The only player that he'd have great influence on is Scott Casimir. Nobody else. Uh, no bad influences. Um, Rob Rosal, who I'd mentioned before, he's controlling. Maybe that's good. Maybe that's not. I don't know. Uh, but he wouldn't have any influence on anybody. There's Andre Colbert, who's 43 years old. He works with ground ballers mostly. He wouldn't have a relationship with anybody. There's there's just a lot of nothing here, and I don't and I don't know compared to our pitching coach currently what works and what doesn't. You know, so I'm I'm kind of out to lunch right now with these guys. Yeah, I had no plan. We don't know what we're gonna do. This is ridiculous, and this is obviously a problem. I need to start thinking of more plans. Well. It allows us a chance to vent, at least. And, and I don't know a way to resolve that, really. I mean, our the guy we got now has a good reputation, and I was all excited to have a ceremonial firing uh, and feel better about myself uh, and turn him into kind of my um, my uh, my stress ball. Um, but I don't know. It sounds like everything would be a downgrade from him. And it's not like it's entirely his fault that our pitching is, I don't know, embarrassing but there, there has to be something that we can do. Yeah. There has to, but I don't know. <laughs> I mean, the whole team is playing pretty – the offense is doing all right. I would – I mean, I would think about, you know, is Charlie Manuel worth holding on to here? But I don't know. The Yankees are a good team. We played in New York. I mean, they hit the snot out of the ball. I don't want to keep waiting and waiting and waiting, but at the same time, I don't think I want to be quick to to make a big move, you know? Yeah. I mean, we can add this to our long list of things to continue thinking about and then decide, is do we need to talk about what to do with Charlie? Do we need to talk about a pitching coach? Um, you know, how, how this would look to uh, fans of the team, though, is, that there was this is a team that won the World Series last year. The only major change is you and me. This is true. So this would not look great. The people of Philadelphia would have some some 
not so polite things to say to radio call-in shows, I think, <laughs> about you and me. Yeah. It it feels like we but it feels like we're in a, we're just stuck right now because there's no great answer to anything. We could blow it all up, but you know, blowing up means firing Charlie Manuel. And people love Charlie Manuel, you know? If I mean, we're, we would we would become huge heels in this town, which we can do. But do we want to go there? I don't know. I I I don't want to say let's wait a couple of days, but maybe we should wait a couple of days. Yeah, I mean, we might as well at this point. It's not <laughs> like um, I I don't know. I mean, I I honestly, I our odds of the wild card might like even the wild card might be zero now um, or, or close to it. So, um, you know, finding somebody other than ourselves to blame in kind of a cutthroat, you know, business oriented kind of way uh, uh, sounds good. Like it might feel good for a second, but I don't know if it would actually fix anything. But wait, we have some good news, some really good news, some news that in fact helps justify our job as general manager of the 2009 Phillies. Yup, Paul Bacco, who we traded to the Cincinnati Reds for Johnny Gomes, has been released by the Reds. Really? How about that? All right, so we pick him back up. We trade him again for some other version of Johnny Gomes, and then we just keep doing that over and over again until we win. Playing the Rube is a Phillies Nation podcast. Go to the Phillies Nation podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spreaker, TuneIn, and YouTube.com slash Phillies Nation to hear more. Thank you to Brian Michael, the executive producer of the podcast and the publisher and owner of philliesnation.com for letting us do this. Also, thanks to my friend Dan Walsh for being able to put up with this and put up with me and have fun with me doing this. And thanks to BenSound.com for the music for the podcast. We will be back in two more weeks to talk more 2009 Phillies on Playing the Rube. See you then.